0: Hello there. Welcome to a brand new Arse Blog Arsecast, right here on Arsblog.com. How are you? Welcome to the very last Arsecast of the 2015-2016 season. That's it. It's done. Dusted, finito, kaput, over, and done with. And, well, whew, what a way it ended. <laughs> I know we did this on the Arsecast Extra on Monday with James, but still, it's like a whole week of... Just, oh, my God, I can't believe that happened. I can't believe how ridiculous it all was. I can't believe how funny it all was. And also, I can't believe how how necessary it was in a way because it it felt like, okay, this has been a season that not too many people have enjoyed. I did get an email the other week from a guy who said, look, maybe you're not enjoying this season, but I am. I'm having a great time. And I said, well, okay, I'm glad one of us is to each their own. You know, I'm not I'm not here to judge, but I'm just saying from my point of view, it wasn't the most enjoyable season that I've ever experienced supporting Arsenal. I think there have been worse ones, but also this was one where the frustration built and uh, people people were a bit crotchety, weren't they? I think it's fair to say they were a bit crotchety at times this season. And, you know, when you look at it in the cold light of day, You have to give credit to Leicester and say, wow, it was great what they did and they only lost three games. But still, but still, you know, you really felt like we should have done better. And that was the whole thing. And it was like, oh, God, you know, we're going to have to go into a summer and there isn't going to be much to lift our mood. And then all the transfer stuff will start. And you know how rationally people deal with transfer stories and that window where we can buy players. You know, they don't tend to get carried away. Don't lose the plot. They don't get wound up or anything like that. So it kind of felt like, after all that, a release would be nice. And we got that with what happened at St James's Park. We got that with what happened to Tottenham, and we got that with what we did on the final day. I know a uh, hat trick against Aston Villa from Giroud, touch of the flat track bully to the whole thing. But you know, we had to win our game and hope that they fucked it up. And well. <laughs> they fucked it up. They fucked it right the fuck up. They couldn't have fucked it anymore if, I don't know, they'd reenacted that scene from Deliverance, all of them, on each other for 48 hours. It's just not possible. They did it. They did it, and the the relief, and the fact that we actually had something collectively to bring us together because fans have been at each other's throats and uh, there have been divisions and polarizations uh, that have existed within the fan base already but they've become even bigger schisms I think you would say they've become and schisms is a great word we don't get to use it very often and it's not a healthy word though when it comes to a football club or the football team that you support Um, and this, this thing this thing that happened on the final day brought everyone together everyone could enjoy it whether you were one of them or one of the other whether you're one of that or one of this Whatever your flavor of whatever it is that you are, together as Arsenal fans, we could enjoy that final day and what it meant. And only for that, only for what it meant. The ridiculousness of people who are saying, well, look at them, small time, celebrating, finishing above Tottenham, celebrating, finishing second. It's just bullshit. It's absolute nonsense. You can like one thing and still see the bigger picture, right? Right. Yes. See, even my phone agrees with me there. You know, you can you can see that there are problems. You can see that there are things to be fixed. You can see that the squad needs to be strengthened. You can see that we've got surgery to do. You can see that this season hasn't gone as well as uh, we would have liked. You can see that the football we played wasn't particularly great. There are problems. Not everything is as bad as they said. But, yeah, you know, you can, you can address all those. You can be aware of them and you can accept them, but you can still just enjoy that one thing for what it is. And people who try and say you can't do that or shouldn't do that, fuck them. Let them do the deliverance scene with each other all day long. Who gives a shit? If we enjoyed it, we, you, you don't have to justify it. You shouldn't have to justify something like that. How could you possibly suggest to somebody that when your local rivals who've been ahead of you all season, who have played better than you all season, who people have tipped for the title, who people have said are having their best season ever, 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 who have challenged for the title more than we did, we can, we can accept that, right? We can say that they were in the title race for longer than we were. We can, we can, we can acknowledge that. We're not too small to acknowledge that. But when they say all that, and they also say about us that, you know, we have been below par, nobody's arguing with them when they say that we haven't done as well as expected. Nobody's arguing with them when they say that this has been a season of uh, missed opportunity and, and disappointment. Nobody's arguing with that part. So if we're not arguing about that, right, it means that we kind of know. Yeah, we watched it. We watched all 38 games. We watched all the Champions League games. We watched the Capital One Cup games. We watched the FA Cup games. We watched them all, 90 minutes of every single one of them. A lot of these pundits pick and choose what they watch. They watch highlights or they they don't see it all. We experienced it all. We lived through it all. So we know that it wasn't great. So we don't need to be told that we can't celebrate when they collapse in spectacularly hilarious fashion. And you shouldn't have to justify it to anybody. If anyone thinks that you're having too much fun over this, they're wrong. We're right. We should have the fun. So there you go. So look, uh, as is typical uh, at the end of the season, normally what I do is have a, a bit of a roundtable discussion about everything, which is what we're going to do uh, a bit later on. Uh, after that, I will give you, I will give you the winners. We did some Robert Perez t-shirt competitions a couple of weeks ago, and I forgot to do the winners of those. So I'll pick the winners of that. I think it was uh, three t-shirts to give away. So we'll do that. Uh, and at the very end, uh, after the music, uh, there's a little bit of a little bit of a film trailer. For you to enjoy, of course, if you are a regular listener, you will know that there is always something after the music, after the theme music. Uh, I did get emails from people from time to time going, I never knew there was something there. I never I just turn it off or I don't listen to the music, I turn it off. And there's all this stuff there. So there you go. So uh, stand by for that. So look, let's do it. Let's get on with this uh, roundtable discussion. And joining me, uh, first up uh, from ArsBlog Blog News, Andrew Allen. Hello there. Hey there. Uh, next up, Tim Stillman. Good evening to you. Good evening. And the man from East Lower, hello to you. Hello. Right. I'm going to start with you, Jim. Um, the final day of this season, rank it from one to ten on one of the funniest things that you've ever seen in either the world of football or just life in general.
1: Oh, it's it's definitely world of football, funny. Ooh, I, you know, it's it's gotta be a nine because there's always room for improvement. But yeah, it's 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 a nine. <laughs> it was very good. It was very good. I mean, it was it was so unexpected. That's what made it so good. And um, you know, if you kind of thought, well, how how could we finish this season on a, on a high? And you looked through all
0: of the possible ways that could happen, and uh,
1: it really couldn't have come up trumps any better, could it? It was, it was great fun. Yeah.
0: If only they, like Newcastle had been down to nine men, that would have made it a little bit more funny, I think.
1: It oh, was just so brilliant. Oh, yeah, it, it's it was uh, it's it's like a shot in the arm for for a disgruntled fan base. And, yeah. uh, I don't know. I can't. I, maybe we're not. Maybe it's just a r- ridiculous to say, but I feel slightly better
0: for it. Well, we're gonna we're gonna touch on that in a few moments, uh, Tim. What what did you make of it all?
2: Um, yeah, I I found it hilarious, just like everyone else. I I will say that I was really, you know, I was in the ground and I was really really trying not to follow what was going on, which was really, really difficult. But the, the thing that's difficult when you're in the ground is like every time a cheer went up, I thought, yeah, but if new if sorry, if Tottenham score, there's gonna be no sound. So I'm not really gonna know what's going on. And that you know what I'm I'm really glad I didn't know that Tottenham had got one back and that Newcastle were down to ten men. Mm. None of those details came through to me until we were three one up and actually as as it was at the time, we were only beating Villa one nil and actually the players looked a little bit anxious about what was going on so i was kind of sat there going right concentrate on this concentrate on this just concentrate <laughs> on this game and then as soon as we went 2-0 up i was like right what's going on over there and um and and the timing was just kind of perfect because pretty much as soon as we went 2-0 up i think you know events at st james's park really really began to take over so there was a nice kind of continuity to it and the last kind of Seven or eight minutes of the game were just were so so enjoyable. I was just I was I was really um not really disappointed. That's overstating. It. I was a bit disappointed that Arsenal actually never put the result up on the screen, um <laughs> at the end because like I think everyone was really really waiting for that. Um, but in 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 any case, it was it was absolutely absolutely hilarious and personally. I, I never quite gave up on finishing above Spurs, even with kind of three games to go. I thought, I thought that something had gone for them when uh, when events happened at Stamford Bridge the way they did. But I must say that once Sunderland got the result against Everton, I I, I didn't entirely give up on it. But I thought, well, it's probably mm. not going to happen now. And so there wasn't really the expectation, um, and that that just made it. All the funnier,
0: yeah, really. Yeah, it really did. Thank you, Rafa. You're a pal. Uh, <laughs> uh, Andrew, um, y- your take on what was a, a very, very funny day. I mean, it must be terrible, let's say, for people uh, who had to go to work. Let's say Spurs fans who had to go to work with Arsenal fans the next day.
3: Um, I've actually... I've just come from, from the pub where I was uh, with a Spurs fan uh, that I work with who, who thanked me for not gloating too much this week. At which point... <laughs> at which point I decided to recount how exactly I reacted when I heard the third note had gone in for Newcastle. And it was basically I jumped out of my seat and screamed like a madman, at which point you said, I really want to punch you in the face right now. And, you know, I think, you know, I've been bottling it up a little bit for for a few days because I I walked into the office on Monday morning and I had a West Ham fan immediately sort of turn around to me and go, behave, behave, Don't, don't go over the top today. Because I, you know, I do work with quite a few Spurs mm-hmm. fans. And oh, it was just, it was so funny. It mm-hmm. really was. I was just, I mean, it was funny when it happened um on the last day at Highbury, but that was kind of tinged with all the emotions of leaving Highbury. This was just kind of pure comedy. Um and oh, I've got to say it's it is it's it's brought a kind of enormous sense of well-being that I feel like I've been missing from my life for a while. So, <laughs> you know at least I could kind of just you know coast on this for a while and um, you know we'll see how we go with the the England team and the euros yeah but yeah no fantastic
0: well here's a here's a story um Andrew as you know uh, by before we'd even managed to publish the match report on Sunday for the Arsenal game before before it even had a chance to hit publish the server was already taking a complete pounding from people who wanted to a read about it and just like chat and 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 uh, and have a laugh at tottenham so it was like completely overloaded for about 7 or 8 hours afterwards it was slow people could get to it but it was really slow uh, the guy um the, the people that uh, do our hosting steve is a big arsenal fan but one of the admins there is a is a tottenham fan and uh, the problems continued into the next day into monday we had um we had a load of uh, uh, issues, again, just with people wanting to experience or wanting to share this this joy with each other and, uh, via uh, comments on the internet. And uh, they get emails. And so it might say, Arsblog news server. So the email subject line will say, Arsblog news server non-responsive or Arsblog news server. Blah. And the guy said to Steve, um, is there any chance you could like uh, turn these emails off? because I wrecking my head, there's so many of these emails. <laughs> so uh, rather than turn them off, he changed the subject line. So every time he got an email through and they were coming through at a rate of knots, the subject line was, it's happened again. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Do you know what um, the whole day really reminded me of? If you Have you ever seen, um, I'm sure you have, it's a really early Simpsons episode where... Bart keeps beating Homer, at uh, um, this computer game. Oh yeah. And he kind of <laughs> says, look, I'm going to beat you one more time because this is boring. And Homer goes away and he trains up and he gets really good at it. And just as he's about to beat him, Marge pulls the plug out <laughs> um, on the video game and, and, like, Bart says, right, that's it. I retire.
0: Like, this is too boring. It just reminded <laughs> me of that somehow. Uh, Jim, I mean, does it change – you talked about it changing the mood a little bit, but it it, it kind of has – in the sense that the, I, I think, you know, there's obviously an awful lot to examine about this season. There's an awful lot to analyze and deconstruct and what have you. But it feels like we're coming at it from, from a different place. I mean, nobody is saying, well, we finished second. What a great season that was. You know, there's actually, where's this bloody email that I got? Basically... We finished with fewer points two years ago in fourth. We had more points two years ago and finished fourth. We had fewer points last year and finished third, and fewer points this year again, and we finished second. There's something really weird going on. I got an email. I can't remember. I am really apologize. I meant to uh, give this guy a, a credit on the email if I can dig it out. Um, so, I mean, there's, there's, <laughs> there's this strange stuff going on, but it does, Jim, it seems to, like, Change the perception or change how we're looking at things. Maybe in the very short term, there's this post-coital glow. Perhaps um, you might describe it as.
1: <laughs> well, I mean, I have to say, to, to me, it wouldn't have made any difference if we'd have been if if we'd have been sort of sixth and seventh. Do you know what I mean? I just think the fact that we overhauled them on the last day was funny, mm. and uh, especially given. And There was that brilliant headline on the Guardian, wasn't there, about all the things that that had made it an amazing season for Spurs at the bottom. This was before the game. Mm. It said, and yet, and yet, Arsenal could still could still uh, finish above them. So yeah, it it was just funny, and um, it did make has made me feel a bit a bit more excited about about next season. And it's a bit stupid, I know that, because nothing's really changed. Um, but that's yeah, that is that is football for you. It's a, it's a sort of it's a load of emotions, isn't it? And sometimes you need something to come out from nowhere and um, boost your emotions. Finish the season on a high, finish second. We haven't done that for ages, not that it's, you know, a massive achievement. But sure. um, and suddenly you look at the summer ahead and you think, actually, you know, it's a classic thing where you, you tend to forget, but you think, actually, you know, if we do this and we do this, <laughs> it might not be too bad this summer and off you go again. You know, It's, it's a cycle of, it of hope, isn't it?
0: It is. Andrew, I mean, the, the, the mood, it, it feels like we've been running through treacle a bit. Um, this season that as as a fan base, there hasn't been a whole lot to enjoy collectively, and this, even if it's very brief or, or temporary, at least has given given us a reminder that like we 're not enemies of each other really, uh, that this is this is a sport and this is something that that should unite us more often than not um so it, for me certainly it, it 's changed the way I've I've looked at it um whilst acknowledging things aren't as, aren't as great as they should be.
3: Yeah, I mean, look, I, can't, I mean, being a football fan is kind of it's it's a farce, really, isn't it? I mean, there's nothing really, really matters, and yet it feels like it absolutely does matter. So, when something like this happens, you kind of just grab the moment by you know, by the horns and just ride it as hard as you can because, I mean, it, it, this season has been about enjoying those small moments. I feel like I felt like I will I will live, you know, that well-bet goal against Leicester will live long in the memory for me, even though this season panned out the way it did this the fact that we've just managed to pip spurs in the way that we have this will live for decades now you know even if they kind of end up pipping us next season for some reason it just feels this is what we live for as football fans you know it's the one-upmanship on other people your mates you know your, your members of the family who you know support a different team I just I don't think really when people step back from things that people really realize how much they look like absolute nutters when they scream and shout on the internet about some of the things that do really kind of grip the emotions during a season. And um, maybe this just kind of serves to show that it's as ridiculous as, as you know, as, as celebrating a, a victory over Spurs, you know. Yeah. But there we go. Yeah. It's perspective. It's, I, I think you should just enjoy it there. I just think you should enjoy
0: it. Yeah. Yeah, Tim. I mean, look, it's something you've touched on a number of times in columns that there is an, a tendency perhaps to, to take things too seriously. And I say that with a caveat uh, as somebody who writes about Arsenal Football Club every single day of my life. Um, but, you know, I try and, and, and maintain some measure of um, perspective or objectivity with, with that. But, you know, that there has been difficult moments or there have been difficult moments and difficult times. And I'm sure you've experienced them going to the to the away games. Um, Do you think it will do anything to change the mood or is it just, is it just something temporary?
2: Uh, It will at first. And then um, I think the kind of the the transfer market madness will, will soon grip people because in a week or two and rightly so, you know, this will kind of drift away and just go into the memory banks. But what, um, you know, that last day of the season shows you, and it's exactly the same with transfer windows, is chronology is important. If you start a season brilliantly and drop away, um, the feeling is much worse. If you start it terribly and finish strongly, those two things might, you know, give you exactly the same result in the end. But how you finish is is very, very important in terms of people's mindsets. And it's, and you know, ask a Tottenham fan right now who, for... 35 games of the season, um, we're having a brilliant season by all accounts, but they'll probably feel pretty lousy um, at the moment. And the same goes for transfer windows. If you sign three players early on, um, you know, that mood kind of lifts. Um, Although what then happens is if if that's it, if that's your lot, um, and you don't get involved in the deadline day kind of scramble and everything, then the mood generally does drop. Um, particularly last summer where we got checked quite nice and early in June. And people thought, right, we've won the FA Cup. We've probably sorted a problem position. People were feeling quite good at that point And then it kind of drifts away and it becomes apparent that we're not adding anybody else. Mm. So I think whether this mood carries will depend entirely on um, what we do this summer and when we do it. If we, you know, and it looks like um, from the noises, we're trying to wrap up a a fairly big um, and important sounding signing in the next kind of few weeks. If we can get something like that done nice and early, then yes, the mood will carry for a little bit more, a little bit longer. Um, But it's always a little bit transient in football, particularly in this day and age where, you know, news news disappears as quickly as it appears kind of thing um, if you understand what i mean sure so it it is the mood at the moment will be good if we can get a signing over the line say before the euros then i think that will carry a little bit um so really for for this mood to carry i guess that Arsenal have probably got to make a signing every like three weeks or so basically
0: <laughs> every three days uh, I mean I mean, even this evening this talk with with, with Granit Xhaka uh, Raphael Honigstein is saying that Arsenal have uh, you know had these discussions and then pretty much lowball Borussia Mönchengladbach with a bid <laughs> it was probably about a third of what they were expecting which uh, will do wonders for people's moves I've seen people going crazy about it on Twitter but I absolutely refuse to get fucking bent out of shape on May the 19th Uh, about what we might do in the transfer market. There's like a whole summer to get crazy on that. Just before we go on, it was Sahil Bansal who sent me that email. In 2014, Arsenal finished fourth with 79 points. In 2015, we finished third with 75 points. In 2016, we finished second with 71 points. If this carries on, we could win the title (laughs) next year with about 60 points. This is what I'm, I'm figuring here. This is what stats tell us, right? You just got to look for the patterns and then just work it all out from there. So, look, uh, we're going to talk about the squad and what we might do this summer and, and uh, you know, who might come and who might go and all that kind of stuff uh, in a minute. But let's, um, let's touch on the manager, Tim. Uh, interesting story before the end of the season where it emerged from the times that Arsene Wenger had been offered uh, a two-year extension, which he absolutely mm. flat denied. Came straight out and said that's false. It's an invention. Um, you can call it what you want. It's another. It's another invention. Um, would public knowledge of this next season, perhaps being Arsene Wenger's last season, would that apply as sort of salve uh, over the over the fan base uh, for a for a final campaign for him, or is it something that they can do? if they're trying to recruit players, because it would have an impact on recruitment as well.
2: I'm, uh, I mean,
0: if you what, want to What's come to your, what's your on that, feeling? You Sorry, just it. before I go on. What, what is your feeling about uh, Arsene Binger's intentions? I know we're guessing, we're only speculating, mm. but my, my feeling at this point is that, my gut feeling is that it'll be his last season, even if there's a contract mm. on offer.
2: Yeah, yeah, I I kind of think so. I think he's clearly doing what he did last time, and he's just going to wait and see what things are like in March or April next year. The way I read that time story, um, if you actually read the story and and not just the headline, a lot of the stuff in there was, you know, Arsenal want to know, they want an answer by October because if he's not going to stay, they need to go out and source, um, you know, a replacement and they need to get their, you know, get their shit together, basically, if he's not going to do it, because they don't want to be in a situation where next April he says, no, I'm not going to do it. And then they're left kind of scrabbling around for a manager. So I do wonder whether that was, um, you know, a little bit of pressure from the club, maybe. Mm. Um, As to whether, you know, an announcement that, you know, this will be his last season, I think it would act as as a salve, as you put it. Yes, definitely. I think it would unite... Most people, um, I think it would cause people to take a little step back um, and kind of maybe calm down a little bit and people start to remember all of the things he's done for us and maybe just soften people up a little bit. Um, I'm not convinced it would have a huge impact on on transfers, just because I don't think that's the way players work anymore. Um, you know, players willingly go to Real Madrid and Chelsea and and clubs like that. And you know, Barcelona haven't had, with the exception of Guardiola. Although Guardiola wasn't a kind of A-grade manager when they got him, they don't tend to hire you know big name kind of box mm. office managers because uh, they don't really need one. Um, So I'm just not sure that players are really driven that way anymore. And actually, one of my biggest fears about 10 years ago about the prospect of Wenger leaving was I thought, right, if Wenger goes, then Henri probably goes, Vieira definitely goes, Perez goes and, and whatnot. Whereas I'm not sure I get that feeling now. And I just think there's probably so much money sloshing around the game, particularly the Premier League, that actually players are probably motivated by slightly different things. Um, the kind of the super clubs and the big European clubs are a bit more, more entrenched and actually doesn't really matter who their managers are um, mm-hmm. quite so much. You know, like Real Madrid and Barcelona have both got rookie managers because, you know, they don't need they, they, they don't really need a manager at all, um, basically. So I'm, I don't think it would have that much of an effect, although, you know, players incoming might want to know, well, who's next or what's next. Yeah. Um I really a compromise might be just to not say anything until the transfer window shuts and then in September come out and say it. Um but I'm not sure how likely that is because yeah. I don't think Arsenal wants to make a call on that um for uh, until well into next season and there there might be there might be a little bit of friction with the club who might want to know something a little bit earlier. Mm. Andrew what's your take on it?
3: Um, it's, it's interesting really, cause I kind of, I, I look at the way Ferguson did things, which was, he obviously made up and Wenger claims that he knew that Ferguson was going to go, you know, a year before he kind of announced it, or at least, you know, he knew that Ferguson was going to go the moment he tried to sign Van Persie and Ferguson didn't announce it until May 8th, um, right at the tail end of the season as United were about to win the league. Um, I, wonder whether Wenger is going to spend this summer really, really, really thinking about whether or not he wants to be the Arsenal manager at the end of next season because although he protests and proclaims that he's going to wait until you know, he sees how things are going, I think he knows as a man who's been trying to set up his own legacy at the club that you can't really leave the club in limbo like that. Mm. Um, I think you know, the other thing you have to take into account is how does it affect the current squad, if you announce halfway through the season, as we've seen with Manchester City and Pellegrini, um, you know, how does that affect morale in the squad? How does it affect the way the team is performing on the pitch? And I don't think Wenger's really, you know, at the same time, he's not going to want to take that risk. You know, the idea that you can cause uproar, I guess a lot of it kind of comes down to whether or not you find a successor and decide as a club that you actually need to make that announcement. But Mm. I mean, it's, it's going to be a really interesting one. Um, The, 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 the obvious thing is it's all in Arson's hands. Effectively, if Arsenal wants a new contract, he can sign a new contract. It doesn't really matter what happens next season. I think even if we fell outside the Champions League places, it would be up to him. I think in those cases he would leave. But, um, you know, I don't see the board really having too much of a say when it comes to demanding. I mean, they might put, plant the odd story, as we're suggesting was the case with the Times recently. But... You know, if you can't have that direct uh, conversation with the manager who's been in the club for twenty years, then there's obviously something a bit wrong.
0: <laughs> True, Jim. What, what do you think? Uh, where, where do you, if you had to guess now, what what would you uh, say was was Arsene Wenger's thinking?
1: Well, he's the one thing he has said, and and with you know, and he's always been very firm about. It, has he said, you know, don't don't worry, I won't stay too long. Trust me. He says that quite a lot. And, uh, he said that in 96. He... Well, did he? I no, mean, no, 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 I... I'm joking, I'm joking. <laughs> he, um, he's 67 in October and, and then, so let, let, hypothetically, if he's then signed a, a new contract, another three years on top of that, it'd be 70. I can't see it. I just can't see him being here at 70. So th- there has to be a cutoff point and, and it feels like the end of next season, the end of his contract this is probably a, a good a cut-off point as any. I mean, it always gets slightly muddled up, doesn't it, by what actually happens next year? Because if we came out the champion, if we did it, if it's got ended fifth or sixth or something next year um, on 15 points, which is what all you'll need to get fifth or sixth, then um, he he, uh, he probably wouldn't stay. But then you kind of think, don't you? Well, imagine if we did, uh, if we did win the league or something, then. Then that changes to the dynamic again, but no, I feel I feel like it's, it seems like a, the most logical thing to say that he'll he'll do next year and then probably not another one, but well, we thing you never quite know yeah um I certainly don't think he'll announce it in advance um he may tell his employer his employers he might tell the club, but I don't think he'll announce it in advance because I
0: just think that can be well look what happened to Pellegrini this year and it was a disaster so um I don't think that will happen yeah I mean look it's worked at other clubs uh, Heinke's won a, a travel at Bayern Munich. Um. despite everybody knowing that that he was going. And in some ways, the thinking is that that consolidated the squad to an extent that uh, they wanted to perform for a manager who they liked and and what have you. But, yeah, it would be a hugely difficult thing. And, of course, the structures at at other clubs are very different from the way they are at Arsenal. They're more used to changing managers and uh, and changing coaches. And just staying with you, Jim, do you think perhaps what happened – this season, in terms of protests, um, I thought there was a really interesting quote when he was speaking about the protests. Uh, uh, was it, it was the Norwich game, wasn't it? So he was talking mm-hmm. about the protests, and he he said we were expecting a lot more. We were told mm-hmm. there was going to be a sea of white or whatever it was, whatever the ba- the banners were. We, that's what they were expecting. Um, so obviously they were they were prepping him and preparing him for. For a, a, a sort of a backlash, which didn't which didn't really come, but the protest itself uh, was obvious. And even if the protest was masked by uh, by being very vague and being about many things, the crux of it was, of course, uh, about him. Do you think that will affect his thinking? It must have an
1: effect, mustn't it? Because it's it's not nice to hear yourself vilified in such a way. Um, so it must have an effect. I think, like you say, you, he clutched it. He clutched at the fact that it wasn't as big, and that you know there was a there was a, a small bit of you know one arse and vinger being sung, mm. not a lot. I hasten to add because I, I was there and um I didn't hear a lot of that, but um nevertheless you would pick you would pick up on that and and, and paint it as a positive for all sorts of different reasons, not just for your own sanity. Um so I I, I it must have had an effect, and he's not you know he, he might be lots of things, including stubborn and um and, and stuck in his ways, but he he knows that he knows that the team has fallen at the last hurdle for a very long time, and um, and the, anything short of winning it really is, is not going to change that. So, yeah, the, the wind is going in a certain direction, put it that way, and it's going to be pretty hard to turn it around, yeah. I, I would have thought. Yes,
0: yeah, it does feel like, uh, yeah, there's a door closing um, not too far behind. Andrew, um, your thoughts on, on perhaps what? Uh, what those protests will have done for him. I mean, we watched the press conferences. We watched the way that he reacts uh, to questions. Um, he can be yeah. a bit sharp, a bit defensive at times, but he seemed in the wake of that to be quite oh, – humbled is not the right word, but affected anyway.
3: Yeah, I, I, I think it's interesting. I, I actually felt the comments were quite pointed at the end because I think he's always had this suspicious – Attitude towards the magnification uh, of, uh, you know, the, the the publicity of certain people on social media, and I think he really doesn't really he doesn't believe that the the chat that takes place on on social media it should be held in as much esteem as it seems to be by certain portions of the of the press, and you know I think he kind of felt like he maybe was proved correct on that particular day. I think he felt like. You know, a lot of people aren't on the social media. A lot of people aren't moaning about him all the time. And actually, it's not even just a case of that. People may well want him to leave, but people aren't willing to do that in a football stadium when a football game is on. Mm. And I think he was, you know, there was a certain level of relief, but I think he also kind of felt, you know, a bit buoyed by it. And I guess he was his confidence was somewhat restored. I mean, I think it's a it's a sad sad state of affairs that a guy who's been in charge for 19 years should be worrying about the fact that you know, half the stadium's going to turn against him when he hasn't massively, I wouldn't say hugely underachieved. I mean, I think it's fair to say the club has not necessarily delivered at the level that we've been hoping for. But, um, yeah, we'll see. I mean, I, I, I think there was a certain amount of teeth gnashing on the part of the people who embarked on that, particularly certain, certain of the fan groups who joined in at the last minute who kind of seemed to be thinking that the, the tide had finally turned. So I mean I, I I think it will probably happen again next season. I think once it starts, it doesn't stop. you know it's a mm. bit like booing in football grounds, but um, I think people will probably learn to take it less seriously
0: right well we'll we'll obviously wait and see uh, a good start to the season um, coupled with a good middle and a good end might uh, keep uh, protests at bay. We should try that. It's a revolutionary idea, I know, but let's let's give it a bash Tim um. It's been a a really weird season generally anyway. We've got Mm. Leicester winning the league, which is just unthinkable. I mean, nobody Mm. thought it would happen from the start of the season, people said, ah, Leicester might win, and everyone went, ha-ha, not a chance, and then they were there, and then it was like, well, they'll fall away, and everyone was like, well, they'll fall away in mid-season, and then we get to, like, spring, and they're not falling away, but then it's, well, the end of the season, when the pressure's on, the last six, seven games, they're going to find it very tough, you know, blah, 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 and they've kept going, and it's it's a remarkable, incredible thing. I've never seen anything like it, Um, but at the same time, it's been coupled with... um, Manchester City being under par. Manchester United still in the period of transition. Chelsea hilariously going from champions to champions um, with with Mourinho getting sacked along the way. Like really, really funny. Liverpool, of course, in a bit of transition as well. Uh, Clubs like West Ham, Southampton, higher up the table than people would have expected. Um, In the context of Leicester losing only three games this season, and, and that's a very admirable thing, um, mm. do, do, Does our season? How do we how do we put our season in comparison to that? Because people say you've got to give credit to Leicester. Look at what they did. They've got eighty one mm. points. That's you know a great total to win the league, Um, but it doesn't offset the disappointments that we have about the way we performed.
2: No, no, and and it is very strange, like because Leicester, as the season's gone on, and and you're quite right. Like uh, in terms of, I think the most impressive thing about it, and there's a lot that's impressive is that when it got to brass tacks in about April, it just didn't seem to bother them, despite the enormous, not just winning the league, and really good teams, ourselves included, um, and some of like our invincibles in 2003, completely collapsed with seven, eight games to go. So really, really good football teams have found that pressure unbearable. Look at what United did in 2012. I think they were eight points clear with about five games to go, and they didn't do it. So... Really experienced managers, really good football teams have faltered um, at that stage. And especially for Leicester, where they're making, you know, seismic history, the, the enormity of it just didn't really seem to, to really kind of affect them all, which, which, I, which I found amazing. And actually, if you swap out the name Leicester City and you give those exact same results to Manchester City, to Chelsea, even to Manchester United or Arsenal, Everyone would be describing it as a procession because that's what it was, because from about you know March, nobody else was in it. And I know everyone talked up Tottenham's challenge, but really, again, people only believed in Tottenham's challenge because it was Leicester. If Tottenham had been chasing Man City or Chelsea, nobody would have called that a challenge. So yeah. yeah. And and there's a big part of me that thinks that actually this Leicester team would have challenged in just about any of the last 10 Premier League seasons, they were that good. That said, um, for us, it's, it's a bit weird, really, because all of the teams you expect to be around us have all had this one complete disaster season, at least. So Chelsea have been mid-table, City have had a nightmare this year, Liverpool have you know gone into mid-table, Manchester United are having a difficult time, and, and we never quite do that. And so our expectations never quite reset. And we're always just a little bit away. And that, and that kind of frustration becomes cumulative. I think my biggest regret is that I, th- I think there are, there are fundamental flaws in Arsenal's team. I, I think the defenders are good, but I don't think the team defends well enough. The midfield was completely dysfunctional for at least two thirds of the season um, when we lost Kazola and we didn't have anyone of that ilk to come in and we're desperately crying out for a, for a top-class striker. Mm. But we still finished second place despite all of those flaws. And I think if we'd have fixed even just one of them, even if we'd have had that shitty midfield of Ramsey and Flamini with a good striker, it might still have been enough. Mm. Or if we'd have had you know, a, the type of midfielder that Santi Cazorla is, um or even if like we'd have got in La La Land, 15 games apiece out of Arteta, oh, Zizky and Wilshere, you know, that that's despite the flaws, That still might've been enough. Just fixing one of those three very big
4: issues. Sure.
2: Might've been enough for us. And that's what's frustrating for me was despite how good Leicester have been, Arsenal didn't have to be perfect. Yeah. We didn't have to be the invincibles mark two. Yeah. We just had to be good enough. Um, and, and we weren't and that that kind of that hurts really we could have been we could have still been quite flawed but done it mm. and the fact that we were still too flawed is is you know is is quite difficult to take
0: jim i mean do you look back on it with regrets um in terms of you know in in relation to what to what Lester did um which was fantastic, but it's very difficult to look at our results. If you go and look at all our results this season, you can you can put your head in your hands and think of at least three or four where you're going off. For fuck's sake, you know, if we just done that in that game, or if we hadn't done that in that game, you know, you'd be looking at having eight or ten more points. And maybe if Leicester had had somebody genuinely up their arse in, in the final five. Uh, four or five games of the season, maybe they would have felt that bit of pressure as it was that they didn't. Um, so, I mean, that's, that's on us.
1: Yeah, but you could say, I mean, you, you could say every team, every season could say, what if we hadn't drawn or lost those games? look, look what might've happened. Uh, you know, it's just too hypothetical to bother getting into because it didn't happen. And it's the same every season. There are seasons where we've come close before 2003 and you could have, you could have said exactly the same. Um, so I'm not sure about that. I think I think the big regret for me, really, has been the way we've played because I I, I just I just think at times it's been, I mean, it's not it's not been, really, it's just been quite dull and, and quite plodding and, and and a bit too methodical and a bit you know, not not creative enough and um and not pacey enough and and I think. You know, it is like an entertain, It is an entertainment business and you go there and if it's really entertaining, you know, you're pretty much happy, aren't you? It's, even if you don't get the, mm. hit the final hurdle at the end of the day. But I think we've got over the line in a lot of games this season, but it's been hard and, and not great to watch. And I think that's the seed of a lot of the problems uh, at, at the Emirates, at least, is just the way we've been playing. Uh, it, it, people have come away a, a little bit disenfranchised and, and then the players get inhibited because the crowd's grumpy and then of course it's a catch 22 and on and on, on, on it goes so i think that's the kind of regret for me is is that we've lost the the, the really entertaining sort of gene that we had for so many years it this year it, yeah with the odd exception that this year it, it does seem to have sort of dried up a bit and we haven't had the answers which i, I think a bit, that's a the thing that I, put it this way the, i've i think probably for the first season in many seasons i've been a bit more uh take it or leave it about going um, and, you know, I've put my ticket on the exchange a few more times. I'm not saying oh, I haven't had a mass walkout, nothing like that, but certainly I haven't had the same excitement about it, and, and I think that's the way we've played
0: as much as where we ended up. Mm-hmm. Andrew, I mean, be, it's hard not to draw parallels with the way we've played, and, and nobody is saying that the, the football has been brilliant, but also with the results that we've got or haven't got. So maybe if we had been able to play with more fluency and cohesion, this could have been a team that, that might have achieved more.
3: Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, I think what what Jim says is really pertinent. I mean, there was a level of predictability about the way that games would pan out at the Emirates this season. And I think that kind of boils down to personnel and then confidence of those personnel. I think last season, we maybe papered over a few of the cracks. I think it was already starting to show that teams would turn up and play in a certain way and we would have to try and sort of grind out an early goal and then hope that we could hit teams on the break. But, you know, we had Alexis in you know, superb form last year. This year, Alexis was not in good form and that unpredictable element when you're flying forward isn't there. And Walcott was not playing well and Chamberlain was not playing well. And what you had up front was Giroud, who is a guy who I think gets a lot of unfair criticism, but he's a very predictable goal scorer. You know, he scores the type of goals that you expect him to score. He's a big guy. He scores headers. He's a guy who gets to the near post and he, he can sweep in a, a low ball across the six yard box. But that unpredictability around the box, that guy who's going to provide a bit of magic, it just wasn't there. And because there was always so much more of a playmaker than a, than a kind of guy who's going to take the ball on and shoot from 30 yards uh, when he makes the space for himself. It, you know, you're, you're, you're even your best player isn't really that unpredictable. I mean, he's, Unpredictable in his amazing range of passing. But there's only, I mean, after a while, even even the opposition, I think, were faced with those and like, you know, uh, that, yeah, that's a pretty good pass. But Arsenal became so bad at putting away some of those chances in the second half of the season. It's very frustrating. Um, just very briefly touching on the, the Leicester thing, what I found really interesting, and I, you know, it's easy for me to say this now, was how much every other team seemed to buy into the Leicester fairy tale. And it kind of, you know, there was this sort of annoying thing going on where I felt like every team who lost to them didn't really mind losing to them because it's Leicester and it's going to be amazing and they're <laughs> doing it for the small teams and you know seeing Tony Poulis almost beaming in a kind of post-match press conference because he started, oh, well they lost but so what you know go on Leicester you know that really naffed me off quite a lot I kind of felt like there were games where Leicester really could have been put under more pressure by other teams and I know Arsene's alluded to this, and I know it's a completely hypothetical game, but it did piss me off a bit.
0: <laughs> Fair enough. I'm if, not bitter. No, no. Look, if we if we can take our happy moments where we take them, we're also entitled to be um, bitter and and unhappy about yes. whatever we feel like. Um, exactly. All right. Well, let's uh, let's move to players. Andrew, just sticking with you. Do you think when Arsene Wenger looks at his squad, when he looked at his squad last summer? He must have thought, well, I can get X, Y, and Z from Arteta, Rosicki, Flamini, Wilshire on the eve of the season, obviously, before he got injured. I can get that. And that's. I think that's why he stuck with those veteran players. But I think he also looked at it as a season in which players like uh, Walcott, Oxlade-Chamberlain, uh, Ramsey, uh, perhaps... Giroud to an extent but also Welbeck I don't think they necessarily expected Welbeck to be out that length of time where he, he expected a bit more from them uh, that they could develop and they could contribute more and very few players have done anything but the mean or or less
3: absolutely I mean you, you, you look at the squad and I think it's fair to say that Riziki, Arteta and Flamini he knew were going to be on there in their final year and it was kind of their squad players he looked at Coquelin and Kazola as the first choice centre midfield pairing, and they'd done well last year. But he actually was calling for more from Kazola because he wanted goals again. Chamberlain and Walcott have been the two biggest disappointments of the season. Ramsey, I think, has suffered because he's been shifted left, right, and centre. Um, you know, even you know Welbeck's return from injury took a lot longer than than anticipated. Um, Giroud did very well. He carried the team from the first half of the season, and I guess in in fairness, you know, Iwobi was a complete um, a complete find. Mm-hmm. Campbell did much better than anybody really expected, um, and I, I think the the defense probably delivered at about the level I expected them to. With the with the bonus of Check being pretty good, but even he got you know caught out a few times. Um, yeah, it's just I I think it's the midfield that really really we really suffered there. Really, really suffered because he said before the season started he needed more goals from midfield and he's got less.
0: Yeah, Jim, he did talk about that. He wanted ten from Oxley Chamberlain. He wanted ten from Mesud Ozil. He, he expected something in that region from from Aaron Ramsey because he's done it before. Uh, Theo Walcott with nine goals this season in all competitions, uh, far less a return than I'm that I'm sure he would have expected. Uh, only Alexis and Olivier Giroud there or thereabouts in terms of what you might expect from them. Giroud perhaps a little above. I mean, he's had his best season, bizarrely. It's like finishing second with less points than uh, than we did two years ago. Giroud didn't score for three months and still finished with more goals than he ever has before. Um, so, I mean, what, what he expected from the players and what he got were, were very different things.
1: You know, when you put it like that, it's it's amazing. We came second, isn't it? Really, yeah. because I, I think you're right. Yeah, I, 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 there's two, three or four players who performed, you know, to their potential, perhaps a little over, in terms of their you know just their general improvement. And the rest, no, not really. It didn't work. And so, um, you know, that they that they got there in the end and is is really quite amazing. So, I think that is. I, I, the, the the worry for me about that is, you know, you can understand one player having a bad season or a bad half a season, but when there are so many, you think, is there something more fundamental? Why that's happening? You know, why did Walcott? Why did his form fall off the cliff? Because he's not. I know he gets a lot of stick, and he's not the world's most amazing player, but he's a hell of a lot better than he is at the moment. And 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 why why hasn't Oxley Chamberlain advanced? What's happened to Ramsey? What's happened to X or Y? To, you know, and and to Gabrielle and and. Actually, if you put it that like that, then you think, what's the? There's got to be. Is it, is it something more fundamental, and that would be a bigger worry in some respects than than a, a loss of form that might only be temporary. Mm.
0: Interesting point there, Tim. What do you make of that? I mean, does the manager have to take some responsibility in the fact that these players haven't performed uh, to the to the level that he expected?
2: Oh, well, definitely. But <clears throat> the reason I don't think they have is because basically we we lost Santi Cazorla, so we lost a midfielder uh, who's a bit creative who starts to play. Who sprays the ball around? All of the guys you've mentioned who underperformed—that <clears throat> they need a player like that alongside them. If you play Walcott, if you have a front three of Walcott, Chamberlain, and Giroud, and midfield of Ramsey and Flamini, like who's passing those guys the ball? All of those guys—they're uh, not creators. They need somebody to kind of make the play for them. And it's not a coincidence that all of these players who have underperformed are all exactly the t- same type of player. They need service. And what happened was we lost Kazola And like I said earlier, who's who's Kazola's backup? Who does his job in the team? Arteta, Rosicky or Wilshere? Um, who we got less than 10 games out of in all competitions, all season. So what we ended up with was this whole team just full of battering rams and nobody giving them the ball. And that's why players like Joel Campbell and Alex Awobi were able to come in and perform possibly above their ability because they have at least a little bit of that creativity that we were really, really crying out for. And, you you know, you put Theo Walcott, I'm not his biggest fan by any means, but if you put him on the left wing and you put a midfield duo of Ramsey and Flamini behind him, of course you're not going to get the best out of him because there's nobody giving him the football. And he can't create things himself. He doesn't really beat players. Uh, And it's kind of the same for Chamberlain. I'm I'm possibly a bit more disappointed in Chamberlain because I think he is a player that can provide a spark without kind of being spoon-fed. But what you've got is you've just got a load of guys who can't really build the play up. And what Wenger's biggest mistake last summer was I can see why, right, he wanted to keep players like Arteta and Rositsky around, even if he didn't think he'd get that many games out of them. He wanted that experience and that influence, and, and I get that. But he, he really should have bought another player that can actually do their job. And what's, what's really, really kind of, um, what's really illustrative, I think. I mean, we've all seen Arteta's quotes this week about, you know, I wasn't good enough to be here anymore. I don't know if you remember last year... He didn't sign his contract extension to the this time last year. He left it really late. And he yeah. said himself that the contract had been on the table for months, but that he wanted to be sure that he deserved it, which, you know, which is says why we all respect Mikel Arteta so much because he's got so much integrity. But why is he making that call? Why is he the one saying, well, I'll sign it if I'm good enough. You know, why isn't the manager the one saying, well, are you good enough? And, um, I think that's what hurt us more than anything, really, with the three players that provide what Kazola provides, completely unable to contribute. We needed Kazola fit for the whole season. And usually we get that from Santi Kazola. And I think Wenger gambled on that happening again. And and it didn't. And what we ended up with was, you know, a team that just didn't complement one another and therefore none of these players performed because they didn't have the players alongside them mm. they need to get the best out of them
0: interesting it was july actually last year when arteta's uh, yeah. one year extension was was confirmed yeah i mean look it's um i have always felt like midfield is, has been the crux of uh, of our problem um you know it's just so fundamental to the way a football team plays when you're mixing and matching and trying to make do with players who just don't fit with each other and, and just the inability to find combinations that, that actually work. I mean, we had those two games, Everton and Watford, was it, where Coquelin and Elneny played together and you thought, okay, well, that might look like something, maybe not exactly what we need, but it looks like something, and then they didn't play again together uh, for um, the rest of the season.
2: And also, uh, another very quick point, Elneny's first Premier League start was Tottenham away early March. um, On the heels of our last Premier League defeat, Elneny started every single game after that and we didn't lose any of them. Mm. It it didn't need uh, Iniesta or Pogba or Vidal to make that midfield work. It just needed someone who could vaguely pass the ball well. And as soon as Elneny came in, it worked a little bit better.
0: Right, well look, um I'm going to stick with you for very very briefly. I want each of you just to uh, to I don't know take maybe sixty seconds maximum to to let me know what you think the club should do this summer. I know it's a big a very broad question. it's quite vague, but let, let's say that you are you are in charge and you you're passing down an edict to whoever is going to listen to you and they will carry out your, your wishes, uh, what do you tell them to do?
2: Okay, well, Arsene Wenger said um, something about signing three players. I think that means three additional players and that some other players will go and, you know, get rid of Debushi or whatever and sign a backup for him. If Espina goes, sign a backup for him. But when he says he wants three players, I think um, a deep-lying midfielder that can pass a football Um, is fundamental I know it's really really difficult and the market's not easy for this position but I think we're in the realms of can Arsenal afford not to sign a top striker or at least somebody who has a chance of being a top striker and Arsenal might have to throw the dice they might have to take a gamble they might have to take an expensive risk but they've got to do something there and I would love um, a wide kind of creative playmaker someone to do the job that Iwobi did so well at the end of last season. After that, strip out some of some of the kind of underperformers, some of the guys who want to leave like Debushi and maybe Kieran Gibbs and replace them as and when they go. But those are, I think, the three fundamental positions that Arsenal must address this summer.
0: Uh, Jim,
1: Well, I like I like that argument. The trouble is that that you could then start talking about um, needing like seven players, and I don't think that's I just don't see that happening at all. I think
0: we might. Uh, I think we might need that many. We're gonna we're gonna run through the squad before we finish to say you know who we think is gonna stay and who's gonna go. So we'll do that before we finish. But I think we might need more players than people think.
1: Well, I agree with you, but that that's why I don't think it's going to happen because I don't, I don't think it's likely that he'll sign seven players. I don't think there's seven players that he'd want, and I don't think that it, you'd... I know we did the trolley dash, what was it, five years ago now. I just can't see it. So I think there might be some players... Um, I, I mean, I think three faces is is absolutely what we'll get, but whether that's in addition to what we already have, I think it might be replacements for the three that are the most obvious three who've already left, but... um. That that means there maybe there maybe we get another year out. of Some of the guys that you thought would wouldn't leave. So mm. I'm not sure that we'd get seven. I just don't. It would just be it would be
0: unprecedented, unprecedented for, for Wenger, wouldn't it?
2: Yeah, we got five two summers ago. Yeah,
0: yeah. yeah. Well, so I don't think that's an unreasonable number. I mean, Jim, if you were if you were if you were telling Arsene Wenger, if let's hypothesise and it is Arsene Wenger's last season, do you tell him to go for it? Just fucking go for it. You have you 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 generated all this revenue. You've you know, it's there, it's sitting in the bank. There's there is this money in the bank. Do it. Yeah, just but he, do it. He could have gone but he could have gone through
1: it in, in, in plenty of seasons sure, past. Sure, he's, sure. Not, he's not a going for it kind of a guy in, in many respects. <laughs> he's certainly not the kind of guy that's going to empty the, the piggy bank before he before he goes on holiday. You know, he's just he's not. So um but I would I would say if there's I, I would say a striker, an a better striker or another striker who can get you 25 goals is an absolute must. I would agree with the midfield thing, because Aller can't do it on his own, and the centre back. I would say again, we need someone there. Um, but you know, whether we'll get many more than that, I don't. I don't know. I just don't know. And and also, who will leave? That that's the mm-hmm. thing. I mean, someone like Kieran Gibbs, I feel I'd be really sad if he left because I don't think he's out of all of them. He he wouldn't be leaving because he was his form was bad. More that he happened unlucky to have been. Um, you know, slightly and not much mm-hmm. behind the very consistent Montreal. So, I'd be very trying, very hard to keep someone like him. To be honest, because who are you going to get that's a- any better?
0: All right, Andrew.
1: And- I think we
3: need to go and buy Higuain. Yeah, we should have got we should have got him the first time. It annoys me still to this day that we let him slip through our fingers because we went off on that stupid wild goose chase trying to get Suarez, and he would be my number one striker choice he's still only 28 i mean the guy's got like three or four you know maybe three years in him three years at this level god he'd be great so i mean i'm not one really for throwing around you know ridiculous names and guys who probably aren't gettable but i kind of feel like the premier league's got so much money right now that you know you probably could throw 60 million quid at napoli and get away with it um i mean if you're looking at someone who's got premier league experience at a club that isn't doing very well and a guy that you could possibly get three years out of before accepting that he moves somewhere else. Lukaku is a a guy who I think is probably ripe for picking from the Everton tree. Um, It looks as though Zaka is going to be the guy or Jaka Jaka in the midfield. Um, uh, After that, I mean, I guess you probably want to find a a Murtasaka backup for the long term. I'm not really sure what's going on with Chambers, whether he really trusts Chambers to be a kind of a centre back at Arsenal. Um and I think given that Walcott and Chamberlain well actually say, given that Chamberlain is has got a knee injury, and I'm not quite sure that Wenger's letting on how serious that is. Um and Welbeck's injured and likely to miss a huge portion of next season. Um, and you're allowing Riziki, Flamini, and Arteta to go. We are we are very light. I think there's quite a few. There's a lot of places up for grabs there, especially if you consider that this is a an international summer where we've got players going off to the Copa America and six or seven players going off to the Euros. So he's got to do something. But, I mean, sod
0: it. if we're in fantasy football territory, yeah, Higuain's the guy I want. Mm, I agree. I mean, the striker, he's, the, those two that you mentioned stick out for me uh Higuain is gettable he wants to leave napoli um i mean he's just come off the, an amazing season there the highest uh, score in serie a for years and years and years um if you're looking for somebody to convert chances then then he's got to be the guy i mean you know why not why not and i think uh, you know a uh, midfield player i'm with tim absolutely i want to see a wide forward and uh, i know you've written a column about it before where He's been looking for a player who can perhaps replace what Robert Pirès did um, in terms of the contribution that he had in terms of goals and assists. I think that's what we're looking at, and I think he's going to sign. I think he's going to have to sign a couple of defenders, to be perfectly honest. And he's going to have to sort out the goalkeeping problem because I think that will be, that will be an issue. So look, what we're going to do just to, to finish off, we're going to go through the squad and you can say whether or not you think uh, the, the player is going to be there or not next season. I don't know if there's any point going through all of them because, I mean, like, for example, Petr Cech is going to stay. So we'll go through perhaps the ones that have doubts over them. Uh, David Ospina, Tim?
2: I think if he has a good copper America, he will definitely go.
0: Yeah. Jim? I think he'll go. Andrew?
2: Yeah, agreed. I think Chesney's coming back.
0: Yeah, I think he's going to go. I think he wants to go. And I think if he wants to play first team football, that's, um, yeah, that's that's not unreasonable at all. And if Chesney comes back and understudies, I don't think I've got any problem with that in the slightest. Czech and Chesney together. I know Chesney winds people up, but I still like him. I still like him. Uh, Kieran Gibbs, then, Jim. Is he going to be here? Not what you would like, what you think. I know. I know. Um, I
1: think he'll. I, I I think he'll stay because I I just think there's only so much you can do, and uh, he's a few years younger than Montreal. I think he'll stay. I hope he stays, Andrew. I'd be sad to see him go. I think it's a position
3: that you can get away with having someone not as good as him come in and learn their trade,
2: but I think he'll stay. Tim. I just about think he'll stay. Yeah.
0: Right. I think he'll go. So I'm a lone voice here in the uh, in the Kieran Gibbs world. Okay, uh, Callum Chambers. Uh, Tim, what do you reckon? I mean, he played very little this season, but when he did play, he did okay. He didn't have a, a bad yeah. season, but th- there's clearly something going on with the manager in terms of where well, he views him.
2: The way, the way I read that is that he was trying to make Gabriel and Koscielny work as a partnership, and they needed games. Um, so I, I'm not sure that's a massive slight on Chambers. I think he might have gone out on loan had Debushi not, been so flighty i think he'll definitely stay and i really hope he does because i think he's a fantastic prospect
0: yeah same here same here uh jim what do you reckon uh, he's, go, he's
1: going nowhere why would you he's so young you can't write someone off at of that age andrew yeah i think he stays his backup right back i mean Jenkinson's still injured and will be for the most part of
3: the first half of next season and i you know it's just another position you'd have to pay for so, all
4: right yeah,
0: okay so. Um, I I don't think we've got too many questions in midfield because most of them have gone. Um, Rosicki, Arteta and Flamini have gone. Um, I suppose Oxlade-Chamberlain is somebody who's... Contract situation means that there's got to be a decision made one way or the other. I think all the talk about uh, Southampton being interested, Man City being interested, Manchester United being interested, all these clubs being interested are because in June he will have two years left of his contract, and you go into that precarious uh, time frame where the balance of power sort of shifts towards the player where they hold um, a bit more power in terms of negotiations, and clubs don't want that. So I think there's probably something going to happen one way or the other. Arsene Wenger said a couple of weeks ago, we're, it's not, we're not ready to give up on him yet. So I have a feeling that he, he'll stay. Uh, what are you reckon, Andrew?
3: He's 22 years old. You could put up with Walcott for 10 years. I think you can put up with Chamberlain for a couple more. So <laughs> um, I think even though financially we could probably make a lot of money off him, I think he'll stay.
1: Jim? Yeah, I think he'll stay. I, I think he's um, he's too again, just like Chambers, extremely inconsistent and should be doing better. But by the same token, he is twenty-two, mm. and a lot of players don't blossom until a little older than this, anyway. So I don't think he's. I don't think he should go, and I don't think he will. All
0: right, uh, Tim.
2: Yep, absolutely agree. Don't think he will. Don't think he should. But he might be in last chance saloon.
0: All right, all right, Tim, staying with you, uh, Theodore Walcott. I think he'll go. I think
2: um, I think he only got the contract last summer because Wenger knew he'd struggle to bring in a forward. And I think his patience was thin with him a little bit last year, and he redeemed it at the end. I think it's totally gone, and all the noises just suggests to me um, that that he's a goner. I think I think that will be the big departure of the summer.
0: Mm, totally agree. I think Theo is going to go
1: this summer, Jim i think he's got i think i think he'll go the only might the only caveat would be is if we he might not let him go until the end of the summer and, and you know because if he doesn't get the replacement he wants he might deem it too too risky so but i think he'll go as, as long as Benga can line up someone uh, i can say better but can mm. howls of derision from that but yeah you know, so as long as you <laughs> as long as you can get he can get someone who he thinks is better then then no, i think he'll go yeah as long as he can get someone. Someone. Someone <laughs> <laughs> can get a human being. No,
0: no, no, no. Andrew, your 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 thoughts on what's going to happen with Theo?
3: Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think like like the other guys. I think I think we'll play hardball and probably hold out for a while and see if we can find a replacement first, and
0: then maybe some side in the championship will pick him up on deadline day. <laughs> mm. <laughs>
3: uh,
0: Andrew, um, staying with you. Joel Campbell at the end of the game went around hugging everybody um, at the end of the the Aston Villa game. Do you think he might be somebody who could be playing his trade elsewhere next season?
3: I I think possibly. And I think it's only, he's only going to be a victim of the position that he plays in because it's the kind of position that Arsene, when he, you know, if he has someone in mind, he doesn't mind spending the money uh, on that kind of guy. So, uh, I mean, he's surpassed expectations. He's, Had a very good season and fair play to him. I wouldn't, you know, certainly wouldn't be devastated if he goes. But I think it's strange that the, you know, Wenger just hasn't had any faith in him in the last Mm.
0: final third of the season. It's odd. Yeah, I think it's it's quite telling that he has been expendable, even when he's played well and performed well. He's been the guy to make way for Oxley chamberlain who hasn't played well. He was the guy who made way for Iwobi, and I'm not saying that Iwobi didn't do well, but it, it always felt like the, the manager's faith in him was, was limited, so I, I wouldn't be surprised at all if he left Tim.
2: I think he'll have a look at what we do in the market. If you know, like Walcott or Chamberlain goes, and he knows Welbeck's injured, he might stick it out for another season. Um, I think it will be totally up to him. I don't think we'll make a big move to sell him, but if he says he wants to go, I think we'll um, we'll we'll let him. I'm I'm 50 50. I I think he probably will go late in the window.
0: Mm. Jim, what do you reckon?
1: I'd like to see him stay uh, because he's a, he'd be a great squad member, but whether he's happy with being a squad member is probably what it boils down to, like Tim said. I, I think there's a good chance he'll go.
0: All right. A um, couple more. Uh, I suppose we can, but we can all agree that Matthew Debussy is going to go.
1: Uh, yeah, you say that, but but who's going to have him? He's, he's, he's really badly injured, <laughs> and um, he's on a good wage at Arsenal. I think he might be on our books next season. Right.
0: Well, that'll be fun for everyone. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Um, that that's a, that's a contract i'd i'd probably look at terminating if um if if that's the case
0: i i think there's there's always a way he he clearly yeah. doesn't want to spend another season behind ballerin i think there's there's a way of doing a deal that will that will work for all parties there uh yeah yeah yeah
3: i think he might have to go i mean he may just <laughs> maybe become maybe become the postman of his dreams <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I mean, in fairness, I mean, he scored, a, he scored that hat-trick, didn't he, for Charlton, proving that on his day he can bumble a ball in from two yards three times in a row in 90 minutes, mm. <laughs> which is basically why we signed him in the first place. I think he had one good game, didn't he, for Augsere? He scored four goals in one game and we were like, yeah, we'll take him to a hotel room in Paris and sign him up.
0: That was the Emirates was the, Cup, the, wasn't it?
3: <laughs> oh, and that day as well,
2: yeah. Yeah, yeah. no, but yeah, he, he scored four for Augsere before we signed him,
3: right. even though he'd been injured for 18
2: months. He obviously has just like one good day every season and then that's it.
3: Yeah, it's like
2: me.
0: (laughs) (laughs) All right, here's the final one. And um, maybe people will go, but uh, Alexis
4: Sanchez, Tim.
2: I think he will definitely stay because even if he doesn't sign a contract, um, I don't think, I think we'll try and string that out and persuade him anyway. And I don't think he's unhappy enough to really, really force a move. So I think he'll stay.
0: All right. I, I, do you know what I found quite interesting was just the, the sort of drip, drip of information that's come out over the last couple of weeks. Um, he did have that yeah. incident where he left the stadium and that that wasn't good. But uh, one, I can't remember where it was, maybe in the Telegraph, something like that. And there was just a line in it um, where it said... Um, some of the players or some of his teammates are a little bit unhappy with his attitude and the fact that he's always turning up late for training. And it just struck me that that's the kind of thing that gets just like fed very slowly into the mixer to to soften the blow a little bit. Um, And
2: if Bayern Munich are interested, um, bear in mind he's about to spend three weeks with his mate Arturo Vidal.
0: Mm. Yes. Yeah, they'll be they'll be talking about all the good times they can have in Munich. Jim, what are you reckon with Alexis?
1: Well, if that's the case, we're going to have to up it to eight signings, aren't we? But no, uh, <laughs> uh, Alexis, no, nah, I don't, I don't think he will. Um, I don't think he will. No, yeah. I
0: think he's had a frustrating season, but we all have. Mm, true. Uh, yeah, I, I just don't think there's any way we can let him go. We can't be serious about what we need to do next summer uh, and let Alexis Sanchez go. So, uh, Andrew.
3: Uh, no, I don't think he's going anywhere. I mean, I, I, no, I don't think so. I mean, I know it's been, he's had a frustrated season and he's, he's, he's been in the news recently about the strop and storming off and stuff. But Mm. I actually think that's more about frustration with himself than it is with any, you know, his circumstances in general. Um, he just needs to be managed properly. You know, we knew off the back of the Copper America that we Shouldn't rush him back, and we did exactly that because we hadn't prepared elsewhere. Sure. And we have exactly the same situation panning out this summer. He's going off to the Copper America, and we need to make sure that we, um, we we
0: we we are covered. All right, okay. Well, look, um, it's going to be an interesting summer. Uh, obviously, in terms of what the manager needs to do, what the club needs to do, um, what some of these players are going to do one way or the other, where they're going to play football next season. So, um, we'll keep fingers crossed. It all works out, and we spend bazillions of pounds. On really good players, because that's that's what it's all about. Uh, Andrew, thank you very much. My pleasure, my pleasure. Tim Stillman, thank you. Thank you. Uh, and Jim, the man from East Lower, thank you very much indeed. No problem, thank you. Thank you very much indeed to the guys. You can find them on Twitter, Andrew Allen, at A. Allen Sport, Tim Stillman, at Stilberto. And the man from East Lower is at East Lower. Thank you very much indeed to them for their time on this final arsecast of the 2015-2016 season. Right, I said I'd give you the winners of the Robert Pires t-shirt competition. The random number generator did its thing. The question was, uh, from where did we sign Robert Pires? The answer was Marseille. The random number generator picked the following people. Claire Wheeler, Elliot Hurst, and Runa Landqvist. I think that's uh, how you say that. So well done to you three. I'll be in touch. I'll get your details and we'll get you T-shirts sent out as soon as we can possibly do that. So there you go. That is the final Arsecast of the 2015-16 season. Just want to say thank you to everybody who listens. Uh, it's really very much appreciated. Uh, basically, I'm just a bloke in a room talking into a microphone, which is kind of weird when you think about it. I'm here on my own. I've got a beer windows open it's a relatively mild night but it will be quite pointless if I was doing this and nobody was listening. Uh, so it's great to uh, to hear from people, great to get the feedback, uh, the emails, the tweets, the Facebook messages and all that kind of stuff. So uh, thank you. Hope you've enjoyed the season of RS Casting, if not necessarily the season of football. Um, what will we be doing in the summer? James and I will be continuing the RS Cast Extra throughout the summer. For the most part, I'm taking a week off in July, and hopefully uh, that means a week completely off. I uh, hope nobody minds that. I'm not going to bring a microphone to the beach. I'm just going to like not do a podcast that week. But uh, for the most part, we'll keep it going throughout the summer. I know James is going to the Euro, so he might be available or not available. But we'll play it by ear. We might do a couple of European or Euro uh, championship casts as well, see how the mood takes us, a few specials here and there along the way. You just never know. But we'll definitely be back with a regular RS cast when the new season kicks off. So until then... Um, I'm not saying, going to say goodbye because I'm going to talk to you on the Arscast on uh, on Monday. The Arscast Extra on Monday. So there's no point saying goodbye or have a good summer or hope you enjoy stuff. There's no point. We just keep going on. It's nonstop, isn't it? It is nonstop. But the Arscast goes into hibernation for the summer. Big podcast bear that it is. And we'll return the start of the new season. Uh, so have yourselves a great weekend. No football this weekend. So you're just going to have to fill it with something else like beer or Deliverance. Until the next one, cheers. Bye-bye.
4: supposed to be their year. Time to put decades of misery and pain behind them. Time for them to show the world they're no longer the losers that everybody thought. Time to show that it is not happening again. It should have been a season to remember for all the right reasons. Instead, it became one they can never forget for all the wrong ones. Based on an epic true story, this is the tale of a football club that just can't help itself. From acclaimed director Maurizio Pacchettino, relive inspirational dressing room speeches. This is it, lads. Never forget what we are. What is that, Harry? Bortling twats? No, Deli. We're lions. Remember, we are lions. Those 13 unforgettable minutes when they were top of the league as it stands. And the incredible drama of that final day. All they needed was a point to defeat the old enemy. Little did they know, the enemy lay within.
0: Newcastle two, Spurs nil, it's three. Spurs have been completely destroyed. Newcastle have got five.
4: From the producers of 2013 smash hit Negative Spiral, the 2012 BAFTA nominated Mind the Gap and 2006's epic Oscar-winning Lasagna-Gate comes a brand-new motion picture telling the same old story in IMAX, 3D, HD, and LOL. Don't miss this summer's blockbuster movie, Tottenham Hotspur. We know what you did last season and the season before. And the season before that. And also the season before that. And the season before. And the season before. And the season before that one, too. And also the previous season. The one before that. And the one before that. And so on.